I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you so much to the National Association for Primary Education. They've been a long-term sponsor of this show and really do just help me to be able to allocate the time I need to be able to put so much effort in and uh, interview so many people. So yeah, thank you so much to them. And I really do appreciate it and look forward to this continual working relationship going through into 2024. Now, today I'm delighted to be chatting to Shahar Link, and he's the CEO and founder of Mindspire Tutoring and Test Prep, which has tutored thousands of students across the country for over a decade in the SAT, ACT, and every other academic subject. Shahar has been teaching in high schools and tutoring standardised tests for over 25 years. He earned a master's degree in history from Stanford University, writing his thesis on the history of IQ testing, ever since he's been determined to help students succeed in standardised tests and in high school. So whether we like tests, whether we think the system should be slightly different, they are an integral part of what it is that schools do and what you need to actually take part in as a student and also from a a parental point of view as well in terms of that support. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Shahar Link talking about Mindspar tutoring and test prep. Hi Shahar, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Um, Testing and doing prep and all those things is a really, really... I guess, fundamental part of what children have to go through these days. And I think all the support and insights that they can gain and, and, and get the, that added advantage of sort of really feeling ready and secure, I think is, is going to be a, a really important thing for everybody. And I think the, the insights that we can hopefully discuss today should be really, really helpful. So yeah, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. Looking forward to talking about all that stuff. Great. So why don't you take us into, into Mindspar tutoring and what where did that sort of journey start in and and that sort of passion from your point of view well my first job out out of college was doing database programming at uh, bristol myers squib this gigantic uh, pharmaceutical company and i, I lasted a whole four months before <laughs> i i couldn't stand staring at a screen any for for one hour more all day and so then i started looking around and i got a job with the Princeton Review, which is a big test prep company in the United States, it's one of the one of the two or three big ones, and I immediately loved it. And it was it was interesting to me how much I loved loved it. And and I as I have proceeded down this path, I, I've realized that I think the reason I loved it so much was because I took this test, the SAT, when I was in high school, and I didn't I knew I didn't do as well as I could have, and it, it was this one test. You know, back then people only took it once and I, I, and I felt like it, it hindered me, you know, and I went to a good college and, and everything was fine. And, but you know, it, it bugged me. And so when I got into the classroom and I was teaching kids who 
reminded me of myself, you know, that didn't want to let this test define them, you know, that felt really uh, rewarding, really satisfying. So it was just sort of an immediate uh, click. And it, it came from that vulnerability of mine, that feeling that I identified with them. And so it's been 25 years. I've never stopped. I've done other things. I went to graduate school. I, I've had other jobs. Um, I was a high school teacher for, for 10 years. And then 12 years ago, um, after being in the, in the classroom, I, I decided I just wanted to, a change and let me start a business and see what that's like. Um, and you, an education business, basically. Um, so 12 years later, uh, we have, you know, we've tutored thousands of kids and, and um, in, in a lot of subjects, not just the SAT and ACT, but that's about two thirds of what we do. Uh, and it's it's still very rewarding and, and kind of amazing to me that a quarter of a century later, I, I still tutor the SAT and I still really like it because there's something something really rich about about how kids work through that almost like rite of passage. Yeah, and it is something which is kind of always on the horizon, isn't it? From almost sort of as soon as the kids are aware that there's this sort of path through school. It's not just about the immediacy of their of their first classroom and their sort of elementary teacher, as it were. So it, it sort of becomes an important factor. And I guess as soon as they realise there's a path which can be supported by somebody else, and I, and certainly for parents who are going to be in that position to do that, then I guess that takes on a slightly different perspective. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the the tests get bigger, and and it it feels they feel weightier and, and there's more stress associated with it. And you so, you know, it makes sense that parents and students look for, uh, you know, all the help they can get to 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 manage this experience that I'm calling a rite of passage, because it it, it really is, um, at least for American students. And I, I know most countries have some kind of really big test that that students will spend six months to a year studying for, if not, you know, really leading up to it for their whole academic elementary and high school career. Um, but yeah, you know, because it's because it, it can be so defining for better or for worse, it 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 has created this, this little industry around supporting students through it. And how do you see it going forward? There's lots of talk about the, you know, test should be scrapped. It should be a bit more kind of um, supportive in terms of sort of real life um, understanding and businesses and the economy and that kind of thing. But do you think there is that change in the air? Do you think that that's a long way down the track or maybe even it's, it's going to stay as it is for a long time? Good question. I, I've, I've never been a very good prognosticator of, of future events. So I, I'm a little... Um, <laughs> A little worried about what I might predict here, but I don't think they're going to go away. Um, I do think, I mean, it's clear that in the United States, college applications and admissions have become more holistic in that the the SAT and the ACT is looked at a little bit less intensely. Um, although even with that, if you have a good score, it really makes an important difference on your application, which is why even though most universities in the United States are what they call test optional, where you don't have to submit the score, a lot of kids are still studying, our business is doing fine, 
Um, and because they know, like, if you if they submit a good score, then colleges are going to look very kindly on that. Uh, they can't they can't turn their eyes away from a very strong score. It just influences them. They know what that means. Um, I don't think that tests are going to go away. I I think that we still are in a position where these sorts of tests are the only measuring tool that universities have that is standard, uh, the standardized, but that is standard across the United States that they can use to compare. And then even in the UK, right? So you, you, you have British students who want to go to an American university and a lot of them are going to want to take the SAT or ACT because again, that allows universities in the United States to actually have a an apples to apples comparison. Um, there's just simply nothing else. GPA can vary so widely from one school to another, you know, where one school a 4.0 means this student worked very, very hard and got good grades, whereas in another school a 4.0 is what 85% of the students are getting in that school. So um, it, it's it's very hard to say. Uh, so I, I don't I don't really see it disappearing, although I'm a champion of the fact that there should be a, a more holistic process. And, and there is. I think that that's a good thing um, for everybody. Yeah. And I think that sort of slight, like say, change in focus and emphasis in, into sort of broadening out people's understanding of that. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, if you if you have a car that you want to be safe on the road, then knowing it's been through some kind of test, like here we have the MOT test, it means that you know that this car is roadworthy and, and there are various things that may still go wrong with it, but you know you know, you should be safe in the foreseeable future, ready to, to kind of keep that going. And I suppose that in that sort of educational sense, you know, we know that you have this level of, um, of achievement and that you're in a position to sort of move forward. And uh, like I say, I think that's, uh, that, that's something which is, is going to be very hard to break. And also, as long as you can, you can work at it in the right way can can also be obviously very very supportive as well yeah i i would also add in now with like uh chat gpt you know there was an article in the new york times about a month ago about uh college application essays being written by chat gpt and there's just never never in a million years will will a college admissions committee really know about that kind of thing so that might have an interesting effect of making the tests actually more important um because uh, in the end, the test is, you know, you're sitting there for two hours and they know it's you. Uh, so yeah, yeah. That's, that, that, that's a great point. I've never, I've never sort of thought of it in that way before. <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in terms of, of what you do, um, take, take us through sort of how, how people come across you and sort of what that experience is and, and that atmosphere that you create as part of, of what, you, what you've been producing. Well, <clears throat> we do almost everything one-on-one tutoring. Um, if uh, you may have heard of the uh, the, the the two sigma effect, uh, do, do you know about this? It's it's kind of big in education circles. Uh, I think Bloom, this education researcher who showed that one on one tutoring is two standard deviations more effective than just about every other educational sort of uh, delivery method that you can come up with. And I I saw that in in when we in the beginning we did classes and we did one on one and the kids who did the private tutoring just just always eked out higher scores or not higher scores but higher improvements on average and it you know like the SAT it's a three hour long test there's all these different parts to it and 
it becomes so difficult to kind of deliver that to 30 students at a time. Um, so we ended up just doing one-on-one -on -one and, and highly customized. So everyone comes in and they, they take a, before any tutoring begins, they take a baseline SAT and a baseline ACT and we decide which test is better for them and, and really know this, this student's strengths and weaknesses very, very clearly and then create a program that's going to just do uh, work on what they need to work on and, and it's, uh, be, it ends up being very efficient. Um, so it's, it, you know, there's an intake process, but then you're with your tutor and then you meet with your tutor once a week and you are taking practice tests for homework every in between and you're going over what you miss. And it's old school, but uh, extremely effective. Um, <clears throat> we do throw in some software. Now we have a digital SAT coming up. It's, it's a, a new test. Um, it's going to be two hours instead of three hours. And... Uh, it's going to have some, it has some different stuff. Students can use uh, Desmos, which is a, a, a very intuitive and easy to use uh, graphic calculator online. So there's a lot of work being done to, you know, teach students how to use this calculator really effectively and you know, some, some other changes. Um, but that's basically it. It's, it's, it's a pretty old fashioned method of, of having an expert work with one student to impart everything they can they possibly can so that that student can can really master the test and i think it's interesting that kind of the one-on-one -on -one in terms of that sort of it's real personalized learning isn't it because what what it enables you to do is you have the ability then to make sure that if you've got a question you can ask it and you can cover things that you think you might be missing but i think often when you're younger as well there may be certain key things which for whatever reason didn't quite sit with you you didn't quite take in and think those sort of building blocks which make other things harder to do and it, it, that one-on-one -on -one with, with you know with a specialist that becomes apparent quite quickly and so therefore i can see how you can sort of move move ahead and 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 get those sort of better results much quicker yeah, you can't you can't hide in the back of the room, you know. And if there is a glaring gap that a student might not be aware of, right? We have metacognition, right? Uh, being aware of what I'm actually thinking or thinking about what I'm thinking, and we we don't most people don't develop solid metacognitive skills until they're twenty or over, you know. So your typical sixteen year old doesn't really realize when there's a big gap, they, they, it's just hard for them. It's, it's a developmental thing. Um, so that's what a tutor really points out. Like, oh, you, you don't really know how to deal with fractions. And if you can't deal with fractions, it's a common place where students sort of often get something missed, right? Um, you know, then it's, everything else is going to be really hard after that. Um, so we're just going to spend a month on, or you know, a few weeks on fractions, and then you can start to build up. So it is a very, uh, it's the most powerful way of addressing those kinds of gaps, and then really putting the the foot to the pedal and and moving ahead more quickly. And how has it changed for you? Sort of, you know, you mentioned it's been quite a few years now. I mean, we've gone through sort of a. Uh, a super mini um, revolution in terms of everything being online and and how, so how do you sort of go about or, or first of all that change from when you first started and what that looked like compared to what it looks like now you know some things have changed but amazingly 
taking a practice test for homework and sitting with your tutor for 60 to 90 minutes and reviewing every mistake you made on that practice test so that you know, why did I miss this question? What was wrong about the wrong answer? And what did I not notice about the right answer? What did I not know to look for in the right answer? And just doing that for every single question. That's still about 90% of what we're doing. And that's been the same since day one. Um, I, I, I can't really imagine a better way of doing something um, in terms of learning. Because our brains are just you know, so... When we make a mistake on something, our brains light up with curiosity. Um, obviously, for some students, it can be intimidating or it could be, oh, no, I'm, I'm stupid or something like that. But we obviously work hard to make sure that, that that's not the message. Making a mistake means this is an opportunity to learn. And that hasn't changed. Um, I, I feel like that's so fundamental to to human brains that it's it's hard to see how it changed. We use like a, a math software now called Math Chops that was developed by another test prep guy where it sort of figures out what level of math you're at. You know, let's say I'm, I'm at a 600 math level and then it just feeds you questions right at that level until you're getting them mostly right. And then it pops you up to the 650 level um, and throw in some games and make it gamified. And 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 that's great. Um, personally, I... I'm, an, I'm a Duolingo addict, uh, the the language software, and I am truly addicted to it because it has become so gamified, but so successfully that, you know, my wife and I both, you know, if we don't do our Duolingo for the for, for the day, we like wake up the next day, like with some kind of, um, you know, hangover or something, um, you know, but it's, uh, you know, I, I see the value of that kind of thing in, in educational software of making it just a little bit more fun. Um, and you have to just fight for that one more point. And I see my students, oh, they, they, you did 300 math questions this week, you know? And she's like, I couldn't stop, you know? <laughs> and that's amazing. So uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that kind of stuff if it's done well. Yeah, I was just sort of laughing there in the background because my wife and my daughter are both um, Duolingo fanatics as well. <laughs> and my, my daughter's doing German A-level and, uh, and, and my wife had done German before, but she'd also lived in Portugal. So she's been getting back into those language things and the conversations they're having around a dinner table and sort of helping each other out by sending various things. And I haven't done it, so I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I can, I can really understand that sort of fanaticism <laughs> from that sort of hands and moves. We're my wife and I are so impressed by that software. They've really, they've really made it work. That you like, you just gotta learn today. Um, and the more of that, the better. If you know, so this math chops, um, they've done a pretty good job. It's not quite as good as Duolingo, and maybe it's not quite as fun math and versus like learning Spanish or something, but. But hey, you know, whatever you can do in that direction is 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 a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, take me through the the growth process of of you know, like I said, in the classroom, deciding you you know we're going to take an education business and, and start it and see how it goes. How does that look from kind of day one when I guess you're the person delivering everything to sort of being able to then find tutors and grow it and and sort of that sort of little journey. Oh boy, yeah, that that's been you know. I, I when you start talking about that, I remember we 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 moved from New York to North Carolina, and that's when I started the business because I I would have needed a new teaching gig anyway. And we had this little upstairs kind of attic space, and I set up my computer, and I kind of remember the first day looking at the screen like, 
okay, I have to go out and make some money right now. You know, like <laughs> otherwise I got about a year to make this work or, or that's it. You know, it's, um, it's, and that's pretty scary. Um, so I start making a website and, and then I, the first thing I did was, um, I got a list of, of people's houses, you know, addresses that have 16 year olds in their house. And I sent postcards to, to everybody and all the zip codes. And I think I got three students that way. Um, and, um, and then it sort of grew from there. Uh, I, but that's how it starts. You know, you got to reach out and it was, it was scary. Um, and you know, day to day, it's, it still feels like doing the same things. Now, instead of postcards, I'm, I'm going on Facebook and like, Hey, can, can I find some people this way? Um, haven't, haven't figured that out very well yet. I'm still a little old fashioned. It's mostly word of mouth. Um, but it, it, you know, it, and then I remember hiring a tutor and my first tutor and, um, that was, that was scary too. Uh, and at this point I've hired a hundred tutors over the last 12 years and, and have sort of get, got a bit of a system and a method down. Um, but all of that has been a wonderful adventure. Uh, it's not for everybody. Uh, I had a tutor once who one of, he was an amazing tutor and he said, Shahar, I, I'm going to go start my own tutoring company. And I said, yeah, go for it. Good luck. Um, and he, he called me back six months later. He's like, Shahar, can I come back and, and be a tutor at your company for you again? And I said, absolutely you can because you're an amazing tutor. And it was just too stressful. It was, you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be scary. There are t it doesn't always work out. Sometimes students don't do as well as you think and the parents can be upset and that's justifiable. And you got to live with that and, and work with that. Um, we do everything we can to, to do it right, but people are people. Um, so, but overall it's, it's been a fantastic journey. I don't, I don't regret it for a second. I miss, I miss some aspects of the classroom for sure. Um, I was a history teacher and I was economics teacher were the, were the two things I taught. And it was, it was fun diving into meaty historical topics that don't have easy answers so that certainly are not multiple choice you know whereas now most of my existence is in the world of multiple choice and there's a right answer and a wrong answer and you know sometimes i miss i miss those open-ended moments um so i just have to have them through conversations like this i guess yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like say it's a different skill set isn't it running a business than just delivering um sessions and, and that kind of thing as well so from, from, from sort of a geography point of view sort of how sort of how sort of wide do you sort of cast your net um everywhere uh we, we are based in north carolina although my family and i we just moved to colorado so now we're building some some students here and i have an office here. Um, but about two thirds of our sessions are in person in North Carolina or Colorado, and uh, one third are online. Uh, I'm currently tutoring a student who lives in Montana. I've worked with students as far away as Hong Kong um, and uh, Indonesia. Um, so it's, uh, it's the, um, the, the internet has, has made things pretty interesting in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm always interested 
Is there an education experience or a teacher that you remember um, that was important to you? And I'm, I'm always fascinated, sort of, has that sort of influenced the way you've gone about sort of creating the world that you did sort of uh, in that sort of education professional? Yeah, I had a pretty unique educational path myself. Um, in high school, I, I, I went to an Orthodox Jewish high school in uh, New York, and my family was not so religious, but the, 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 the cultural values of Judaism were important for them to impart to me. So I went, I had gone to a public school and hardly knew any of that Judaism stuff. And all of a sudden I go to this religious school and it had its pros and cons. But one thing that was very good about it was when you're doing, you know, we, we would study like the Talmud and, and these things. And there was, we, everyone knew Colleges weren't going to care about this stuff, and there wasn't going to be a test on any of it. We were never tested on on whether we learned it, it, this specific thing about Jewish law or whatever it was. It was really because this was just in, seen as intrinsically interesting and important. And even though I'm not a religious person a- anymore, I, I walked away from that experience just having an appreciation for that's what learning is supposed to be like when it's just supposed to be really interesting and intrinsically important, and it's not really supposed to be about the test. And I guess it's ironic that here I am as, as you know, the test master. But what I really try to focus on is, you know, we're doing basic, important math stuff, and we're learning how to read better. And we're actually, amazingly enough, the SAT has some pretty interesting reading passages that, you know, especially lately, now they have Thomas Jefferson and Frederick Douglass and and Susan B. Anthony and interesting people that that have written interesting things, um, and I try to focus on that that we're learning basic core critical skills that that knowing these things makes you a more interesting and ultimately hopefully more fulfilled person. Um, so it's kind of interesting how that religious experience had this uh, impact on me. Yeah, and I think sort of like say having that sort of that reference point of things that you're studying, like say outside of the test, as it were, that makes you who you are and makes you sort of aware of that kind of ongoing learning, which is going to be integral to probably how you how you see life going forward. And I, and I think those yeah. two things together, you can you can see how one supports the other, even though like say on on the surface of it, they seem to be um, sort of two different two different sides of the coin. Yeah, totally. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or indeed, is there a piece of advice you might give your younger self now, looking back? And I appreciate you mentioned before about, you know, the way that the 16-year-old student um, thinks compared to, like, say, the, the, more, the more adult ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I... <laughs> I've been thinking about this my, my along the same lines, and it feels like I'm um, being a little uh, repetitive here. But my, my mother would always say, "Live and learn," you know, and that was like the motto of you know how she dealt with setbacks. Oh, live and learn, and I just remember that feeling like the right attitude for a lot of difficult situations in life, you know, just to, to, to see things as learning experiences, something that makes you um, more resilient, more interesting, um, have, have a better story to tell the next day. 
Um, you know, uh, so I, I, I will say thank you to mom for, for that one. Um, and then my uncle, I remember when I was like eight years old, you know, he's, he, 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 he was kind of a goofy guy. And he said, you know, there's an 11th commandment. And I was like, oh yeah, what's the 11th commandment? And he said, thou shalt lead an interesting life. And I still wonder about that. I'm not 100% sure I agree with him, but it certainly had an impact on me. And, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, if, if I can get the choice of it, let's choose more interesting things rather than, you know, humdrum things. So I'll, I'll, I'll say thank you to um, Uncle Abe for that one. Yeah, I love, I love that. Like I say, it just opens up that kind of thought process, doesn't it? Just to see that there there is maybe more than one way to do things, and uh, that's what mm-hmm. I love about the conversations, like you say, in the in your community, whether it's family or or, uh, or beyond. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there a resource you'd like to share? And this could be professional or personal, but it could be anything from a book, a video, song, podcast, but something which is uh, yeah, had an impact on your life. You think would be interesting to share? Yeah, uh, so many books. I mean, we're we're educators. We read um, the two books that I often think of when I was like a teenager that I read that that really had a strong impact on me. One of them was Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, uh, which which I read when I was in a more sort of religious phase of life, and it, it's a spiritual book, but it's a philosophical book um and it really opened me up to seeing life as as this journey um that that is beautiful and meaningful and um really very open-ended um so i i i love suggesting that to to teens who are looking for you know something something deep and rich to read that isn't too difficult it's it's a short book you could read it in in a few days really and and it's not written at a very difficult level and it's a beautiful beautiful story also about friendship um and and then another book that i read a little bit later maybe in college was uh called man's search for meaning by victor frankel um victor frankel is a holocaust survivor who in the 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 concentration camp realized that he can be as free as he would like, like freedom, anywhere, right there. And as he was older, he reflected back and he said he felt most free in some ways when he was in a concentration camp because he realized that freedom is, a, is an attitude, is a mental state. And, you know, if you say to someone, hey, you know, your attitude is up to you, and they can often come back and say, yeah, but my life is like this and this stinks. And you're like, well, if Victor Frankl can do it in a concentration camp, then I think you can do it here in Boulder, Colorado, you know, <laughs> or wherever you might be. It's like you can't you, you can't argue with that. And so it's it really had a huge impact. Like, wow, there's this is really kind of up to me and how I want to um, pursue this. And, you know, I'm like a normal person. We feel we have our bad days, but you can you can go to an inspiration like that and say, hmm, how can I turn this around? Yeah, I love that. And I think uh, that's definitely come up on the podcast before. And I, th- I think it's one of the, it's one of those books, like you say, when you need that perspective and, and that thought and, and that kind of 
I, I guess you, you want to step into something which is above the the, the humdrum of, of, of life going through. I, I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing to sort of immerse yourself in. And like I say, d- d- despite the, the subject. Yeah, um, yeah. The acronym FIRE is really important here at Education on Fire. And by that, we mean feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. Uh, what's the first thing that springs to mind when you hear that? Feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. Um, I love that. I love all of it. It's hard to pick one. Um, I, I I think I'm going to sit with resilience, um, and it's it's on the connecting to what we just talked about with with Viktor Frankl that that the difficult moments in our life, the difficult stages of our life are what give us um, the the empowerment, right? That kind of lead to the empowerment. You, you can't feel that strong and empowered unless you've gone through hard stuff. It's just that's that's kind of how it happens. Um, so I, I, I think that that's it's easy for us to want to feel comfortable all of the time. Um, in fact, it's very, it's very uh, innate. That's we're, as human beings, that's what we want. We just want to feel comfortable and lazy and eat all day, you know. <laughs> but we know we're not going to feel very good, and we're definitely not going <laughs> to grow as people um, if we do that. Um, so it's 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 so important to remember that that it's the harder stuff the dis the uncomfortable things that actually make us empowered and able to meet new situations with with flexibility and open-mindedness so that's 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 where i'll go with that yeah i love that i love that so uh really thank you so much indeed for for those insights as well and I, and, I, and it's always fascinating sort of hearing those uh the ideas from obviously across the pond from where we are but i think like you said so much of what we talk about in education is is universal in in so many ways about what's important how we go about it and and sort of sort of weighing both sides of of the scales sometimes in terms of what we think learning is compared to what we have to do in actually working out the best way of combining those two things together so do, do make sure that everybody knows um, where they can find out more about you and, and connect if they'd like to sure best thing to do is just go to our website www.mindspire.com mindspire one word um right now we are trying out a free month of sat or act tutoring for uh anyone just to give give it a try there's just classes that meet uh twice a week and you can come and check out classes so that's happening now but you can just fill out a contact form and ask us questions and um we're happy to have a have a talk with anyone who's sort of thinking about these tests or other tests and and how to how to proceed with them and we also do general academic tutoring for just about every subject fantastic shahar thank you so much indeed and uh, yeah keep up the great work thank you very much this was a pleasure indeed thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community with over 300 episodes i've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. thanks for listening to the education on fire podcast for more information of each episode and to get in touch go to educationonfire.com
Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.